It's March 28th, 2022. This is Rook. is a multidisciplinary artist who studied classical music in Iran, but more recently has been working in the realm of the intersection between music creation and artificial intelligence. Futurist and technological entrepreneur Ash Kusha joins us to discuss music in the metaverse later in the program. But first, the life and legacy of iconic Iranian novelist, poet, and activist Dr. Reza Badahani considered the founder of literary criticism in Iran. Director and writer Arsalan Badahani joins me for a very personal remembrance of his father, who died this week. Plus, we have your letters about our Noruz video. This is Conversations From, To, and About the Iranian Diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 172 of Rook. Hope you're keeping well. Wherever you're tuning in from around the world, hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam Dustan Aziz, Durud Bar Shama. Hi, Shaya. Hi, Azizam. How Hi. you doing? Great. And hello, Reza. Sorry, Captain Reza. Hello, hello. sir. I, as Captain Reza, as uh, known from such videos as the Noruz, <laughs> the Rook Noruz video. And finally, they got to see Captain Reza on screen. <laughs> Looking very Dancing. handsome and doing some very strange dance moves. Very in weird. The <laughs> I, you're not so much dancing as, no. you know, the rest of us were dancing. You're just kind of, you're doing moves. You do like a, like yeah, a you do kind of a move and then you stop and, yeah. Chase on. <laughs> Arrhythmic, I might add. <laughs> really nothing to do with the music, Reza's moves. But he looks good. It looks uh, somehow planned. Yeah, well, the editing yeah. worked. I tried to cut out all of the. <laughs> That's right. You happen to, I like how, don't you love how Reza edited the video and there's lots of Reza in it? It's just like <laughs> Reza <more>. everywhere. <laughs> It's like he was really happy with his dancing because there was there was so much Reza in our Noru's video. We'll get to the Noru's video a little later. Um, uh, Ash Kusha coming up on this program. So Ash, uh, you will his official name is Ashkon Kushanijad or something, and and he. He, folks will remember him from uh, an indie pop band, rock band he was in called Take It Easy Hospital. You might remember if you were in Iran at the time. And and he was one of the stars of that Batman Qobadi film, right. No One Knows About Persian Cats. Right. Yeah. right? And then he, he left Iran, a few, that was in 2009, left Iran a few years after that. He's in London, England now, where his primary... Uh, mission seems to be uh, involved in innovation as a futurist, thinking about what what what's going to be happening in the future, mm. and he's on this mission to build virtual musicians. Wow, robot musicians who who not just perform but write music. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> replacing like yeah. <laughs> it's like oh jeez. So we'll get to Ash Kusha in London uh, later in the show. Uh, in just a few minutes, um, we're going to remember Dr. Reza Badahani. And um, this is a 
you know, he is a, um, a great intellectual. Uh, uh, Iranians inside Iran and in the diaspora will know him. Um, I had the, the great pleasure, and I, I will say it was a pleasure to know him uh, over the last 20 years. I had a, a couple of interviews with him that I'll, I'll talk about a little later in the show that really stick with me. Um, he was brilliant in terms of uh, not just his writing, but his um, philosophical thoughts, his, his way of seeing the world, his perspectives. Uh, he was dealing with Alzheimer's in recent years. Oh. And so, um, and and a lot of Iranian Canadians will know him because uh, I guess after the '90s, when the family he had he had to leave Iran um, because he was going to be you know in trouble with the the regime there. Uh, he ended up in Toronto, where he taught for a while at the University of Toronto, uh, I think at York, and he was the president of Penn Canada, which is a a group that supports and protects writers around the world, freedom of uh, speech, et cetera. Um, so a lot of Iranian Canadians know him, and certainly in the Toronto area would have seen him in recent years. But um, not so much in the last three or four years where he had really um, declined in, in health uh, uh, due to, the, to his Alzheimer's. Uh, so his son, Arcelon, uh, which uh, many folks will know. He's also a, an artist himself. He's a writer. He's a director. He's a producer. Uh, he's going to join us to talk about his dad who who um, passed away just three or four days ago. So uh, I'm appreciative that Arcelon is coming on. Uh, as soon as we got the news that uh, Reza Barahani had, had died. You didn't know that I, I, I no, had some. No, I was shocked. I knew told, him. Yeah. yeah, but but you but you texted right away to say that he was an important figure for you. You of some, course, yeah. yeah. And also, uh, you know, uh, the uh, passing away of Mr. Barahani was sad. But what was more sad for me is like how. Um, we are no shock. We are not grateful for this because he he is beyond uh, any parties. Any you know his his uh, literature. I mean his poetry is fascinating. Right, Why right. don't we can celebrate his right. for a certain section of the Iranian diaspora? He he even in his death he becomes a a referendum on what his politics were and an ideological debate mm. and all of that kind of stuff as opposed to appreciating what he I mean he's he's been called the founder of modern literary criticism yes, in Iran right yes. and uh, I I actually I heard a story uh, I mean some someone uh, uh, sent me a video of uh, him and he was talking that when he was in school uh, he he only knew speak in Turkish and so the school for well, he was there from Azerbaijan he was from Ta Tabriz, Tabriz yeah, yeah. yeah and so uh, there uh, he wrote a news like the wall newspaper in Turkish and mm -hmm. his teacher forced him to uh, leak his uh, Lick the paper? Yes, because it was in Turkish and they forced him, you have to write in Farsi. Oh not my God. So, right. and yeah, and he was licking the paper and all the oh. students right. uh, like making fun of him because all the 
like the. Uh, you know what my favorite part of that story was? Huh? News. Uh, a wall newspaper. Uh, <laughs> what is uh, yeah, that? I've never heard of a wall newspaper. Farsi. We call that Ruznamid Divari. But at, what at is school, that? It's a, like, a newspaper you put on the wall? Yeah, it's like a, you make a, like a collage of uh, a different type yeah. of like headlines. We don't have wall stuff, newspaper. And, yeah, uh, but, and, you, yeah and, and you just, um, you don't put it on the wall. It's like a board, right? Yeah, but the the reason is they call it Ruzname Divari is that you put it on the and oh, it's actually, like a kind yeah. of a manifest of each like yeah. it's kind and of and what was it about? What is it like a, it? a it's it's like a pinup board it or something like a, board. like a bulletin board kind it is of like a so yeah, it's called yeah, it Ruzname Divari. Actually, but it's, yeah. it's not it's really exactly a newspaper. That. No, 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 it's a bulletin. It's exactly okay. That, okay. Right? Well, I know we kind we have bulletin boards. Yeah, it's like a bulletin board. This. This wall newspaper you're trying to import, though. I don't know if, <laughs> don't know if that's going to take off in the <laughs> digital era. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, be wall newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, I want my son to come to your school, a school, but uh, do you have wall newspaper? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I prefer for them to have wall newspaper. You do not have? Uh, 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 sir, um, we can arrange for some... Um, <laughs> Newspapers to be pasted on. No, no, I, I want regular uh, in the school, regular <laughs> new wall newspaper. Yeah. Bulletin uh, board would do? <laughs> that should be okay. Thank you. Bulletin board, bullet? No, we, no, we don't want bullets. <laughs> no, no, we're not. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was <laughs> anyway, a very yeah, sad now, now story. Now we got loose, yeah. yeah. So the, <laughs> the point is, uh, yeah, the uh, point. Dr. Badahani, I, I, you know, I was really saddened, yeah. even though his... Uh, his health had declined in in recent years. I, well, maybe I'll talk about the interview that I did with him uh, when I'm talking to Arsalan. It was in uh, the, the, there's a couple, but there's one big one that I did with him. It was pretty early in my days doing national interviews. It was like 2006 or something, but it just stuck with me, man. He is mm. he was just so uh, such a such a uh, a master of language. You know, not, not just in Persian. I mean, you know, I know he's known that. Uh, this is ironic. The story you're telling that he he only used to yeah. write in in Turkish, Turkish because he becomes this master of Persian yeah. and English. You know, in in terms of his prose, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll get to that. Uh, very grateful to Arsalan Badahini, who obviously is. Um, these must be difficult days for him uh, navigating the uh, the death of his dad, but uh, he's going to join us for a little bit. Well, a lot happened over the weekend. Uh, there was the Oscars, the Academy Awards, and some hijinks there, uh, which I, I I don't think we need to talk about because everywhere else, Just it's been YouTube talked about everywhere else. But yeah. but uh, I wanted to mention, because it's a through line now, because we've been talking about the, the World Cup uh-huh. the, that's coming up later this year in Qatar, in Qatar. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we got all excited because Iran has now been confirmed in. My England is also confirmed in. So my Iran, my England, and now, and now three out of three. Hey, three out of three. Canada. Crazy. Crazy three, world. three out of three. So Canada is now in the World Cup. That's insane. For the first time since 1986. I, I must say, this is going to be quite a World Cup. Yeah. What do we do? <laughs> can we go? <laughs> Sir, can we? And maybe if Keon will lend us some money. No, you know, no, no. If uh, Keon comes, I'm not going to go. <laughs> She's so she'll slow us down. No, but uh, but Keon can get us the tickets. You know? I know. Where is she? Well, this is the thing. Okay, so yeah, I should actually mention <laughs> Keon. 
So you you'll hear there's a voice missing yeah. normally on our Roka on air team. You got the the Reza and the and Shy. We're missing the fabulous Keon. So Keon texted me yesterday, mm-hmm. saying uh, she was feeling uh, oh, feverish God. and Again? nothing. I know, but yeah. she said, but I but it's I don't know if it's COVID. First of all. <laughs> She's had COVID at least a dozen times. <laughs> so I don't know how she keeps getting we COVID. we know of. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the, the COVID uh-huh. seems to... I mean, there's this rule, like, for 90 days, you I can't know. get it, it again. I know, it apply to her, apparently. She's just keeping it. So, I mean, uh, obviously, we hope that Keon is, is yes, yes. getting better. But so then this morning, I said, are you feeling any better? Because yesterday she was saying, hopefully I'll be better in the morning come in the studio. She said, no, not feeling well. Going to be in bed. We talked about her getting on the phone I, i've been texting her for the last hour what Nothing. she's not answering oh. no. you know what get her on the phone shaya call her oh really yeah yeah call her call her well we could she's probably in whatever she's sleeping she's, <laughs> we'll all find right. out all right, all right. Let's, yeah. call her. let's see let's so see. canada and the world cup yeah. so you, call, you get I'm her on the line Go ahead. oh you call okay she's not gonna answer no she's not gonna answer is it you oh. Hi, sorry, I was just uh, texting. Hello, Keon. Yeah, I was just texting you back. I was gonna say I don't know if you want me to, but okay, we're live. The show's on. The show's we're on. on. Oh, show's yeah. on. oh, okay. There's me okay. and Reza and Shia. Hi, Kian John. Hi, Kian John. We were just saying that Actually, we weren't saying that. Reza was complaining that you've had COVID too many times. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kian. To, I, on a COVID that you. you passed on to the rest. You know what's <laughs> even more hilarious? The fact that I, I'm flying tomorrow, Whoa. and well, thankfully the COVID test came negative. But anyway, you're flying so, tomorrow. Where are you going? going? Yeah, I I meant to tell you this. <laughs> I didn't want to just like travel, and then you you probably assumed that oh she Jesus pretended Christ, to Dion. be sick. Um, I'm going to Turks and Caicos, so I won't be able. To what? Oh my God! You can't <laughs> write this stuff. I swear to God, like. But you, know what? you just came back from somewhere, didn't you? And that was December. This is. Like, okay. Hey, first of all, Keon, are you in an aquarium? Like, why does it sound like this? Can you? Because oh, it's a, are you using a headphone? You're using a no, yeah. no. I'm I'm just okay. That's the, better. That's better. No, that's better. Okay. Yeah. So so first of all, what's what's wrong with you? I have a cold. I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it's not as dramatic as it seemed when you weren't <laughs> responding to text messages. We got worried. Yeah. No. Wait, we we, this is show. live recording? Right yeah, now? yeah, we're on it right is. now. Shia actually literally asked if you were still alive. Honestly, like I was passed out the last few hours. I just completely went out. Okay. So are you so you're so you're but you're planning on going on uh, another another vacation <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> that you hadn't told me about. Fantastic. How long are you going plan. for this to this place that you haven't oh, even I'll told me? I'll be back on on Sunday. Okay, okay. So you're not going to miss yeah. next week's show. Nah, right? Just a weekend trip to Turks and Caicos. That's beautiful. That's well, good for lovely. you. That's awesome. Um well, Keon, uh so I we hope you get better. So so do you do you like I guess you have to sort of hide the fact that you're sniffling and stuff when you get on the plane you know because they say that you know i have to be a very good actress no i i think i'll be better by tomorrow it's just one of those i was bad yesterday i was probably the worst okay 
Drop a couple of edibles like last time and pass out. Keon, we were just talking about the fact that Canada has made it into the World Cup. Yay. Yes, it's big news. I mean, Canada, the well, uh, your team, the U.S., will likely get in. So Canada, the U.S., Iran, and England. I mean, we really should make the plan to go to Qatar, right? No, let's do it. I mean, I was planning on it until I... I don't know. Got sick. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that and also, so I applied. I don't know if I told you, I got the tickets, but then it, I would have had to be in Qatar for three weeks to go to the three games that I wanted to go to. Three weeks in Qatar is like, I mean, it's a tiny country with not much else to do besides go to the World Cup. So Yeah, but at World uh, Cup time, it'll be amazing. And you seem to be able to take, yeah. off, take off as much time as you want from uh, your, That's <laughs> your fabulous But job. then you have to, it's true, you have to also pay to be in Qatar for... Like, what do you, what else, is there anything in Qatar besides... Have you been, Kian? Because you lived in I've Kuwait. never been, no. But it's a tiny country, so I would imagine, like, you know, three weeks in Qatar would be... Yeah. No, it's, kind a, of it's a rich egg. country. They'll probably be... And there are no drugs. Fans. It won't be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with you? That's the third drug reference. By the way... Uh, let me talk about Reza and the No Roos video. Okay, hang on a second. Oh, Let me say we're, we're coming to you at rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. So you can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. Those are our podcast platforms if you like to listen to the podcast. In terms of social media, if you want to watch what you're hearing, Instagram uh, and YouTube, and if you like to see... Uh, your bulletins in English, your Ruznameh uh, Divari in English and in Persian. Uh, check us out on Telegram. All of those handles are at Rook Media. And we crowdsource how we make this thing happen. So we do it through patrons. So if you go to our website, rookmedia.com, um, and become a patron, it means a lot to us. If you're a regular listener, or even if you just started and you like what you hear, $5 or $10 a month, as um, simple as that, you just go to the uh, Support Us button on the main page of the website and become a patron and if you want to um, give more than that per, per month you can do that as well we really appreciate that imagine uh, this is a, uh, a newspaper uh, a <laughs> subscription that uh, you're, you're paying for so uh, this uh, no ruse video first of all um, it's lovely it's getting all kinds of uh, wonderful comments we posted it on the weekend uh, a video our second annual home video uh, for No Ruse where we say happy No Ruse to everybody and we dance around a little bit get a little reflective there's some poetry in there uh, we speak only in Persian um, and uh, people have a laugh at my Persian me and Keon uh, speaking Persian but um, uh, so we've been the nice thing is the comments have just been so lovely about how uh, people thought it was touching because we were talking about Shia and a lot in the video you talk about uh, and, and Anahita and yeah. Super P talk about missing Noru's no, in, in, in Iran. Iran and so we invite you to go see the, the video with Keon one thing that I thought was really interesting is that so Reza edited the video right <laughs> how much Reza is in the video first of all I mean there's the guy is like I was like wow he really must like the way he looks in this video <laughs> the, I he mean, also he's a great dancer apparently well, he, I don't know if it's dancing or like, you know, he does these weird moves. I don't know if the, what that is, if that's dancing or not. 
some overconfidence here, my man. Swirling around, I feel like I'm dancing. But I but use- you know why he was so confident? This is where I want to bring it together with all his references today. You know what? You know what was going on that night? I mean, you Drugs? remember Keon? There was nothing going on. <laughs> he was wasted. But he was high. <laughs> no, no. You were you, you were like I was. You were laughing. You were speaking gibberish. If people see you at the table, I mean, you were. This just, was a wedding. I'd be scored out. They'd be like, "Get that guy out of here." He's wasted. There was times when Reza was holding the camera because he shot most of it, and then uh, and then he dropped the like he lower the camera, and he'd be talking to us. And we're like, "Reza, get it on video. Hold the camera back up." He was laughing of, so hard. Actually, speaking of holding cameras. A big credit should be given. Credit should be given where credit is due. Is Shia man? His wow. cinematography was good. <laughs> well, I, I thought you were going to say Savvy Roham because yeah. Savvy Roham, Savvy Roham also gave you an assistant, did a bunch of the editing. He so, did, yeah, and yeah. he he's a good videographer too. But Shia also. So, yeah. and the other thing that I thought was interesting about Reza's edit, Keon, is that he put you in the beginning and the end. Yeah, that was odd. Reza, do you want to come clean about something? or What? It's good. It's fun. It's choreography. You guys are dancing. and But I didn't end it with Keon. Yeah, you did. Oh, no. Yeah, you know why? <laughs> the reason is because she's a diva that she is. She wasn't standing at the counter with I know. us. Oh, I don't know I why. Like her feet were hurting us. or something. She uh, went and sat. Sure. At the, yeah. yeah. Keon, have you um, have you been getting nice comments about all your dancing in the? Uh, how did the doctor? Not, not about my dancing specifically, but uh, the mostly the per- yeah the Persian speaking I guess was a little entertaining for a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my friends, you know. <laughs> By the way, what uh, what is the translation for um, renewal? Uh, for renewal. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like how you guys you made a video making fun of her for not knowing that. Yeah, yeah, nobody helped me out, by the way. Do you know, uh, Keon, do you know what the word for the, the term for bulletin board is? Like if <laughs> at school when you have a bulletin board on the on the wall? You were seriously asking? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for real. It's a new you're not gonna get it. I'll just tell you. Uh yeah, no clue. Ruzname, Ruz, it's like it's like a, a saga abi. It's, <laughs> it's, it's good. Ruzname divari. Ruzname divari. Yeah, because we stick it on oh, the like wall news- and it's Ruzname. Like wall like, newspaper. Like Shia said, he would write for the wall newspaper, and I was like, wall newspaper. What's the wall newspaper? Yeah, and I was he like, means bulletin board. <laughs> so we had it. It's a real thing. Ruzname divari. Very popular. Are you sure it's a bulletin but, board? No, it's or maybe is it was no, it actually it is a bulletin board? It's a bulletin okay, board. Right. It is definitely a bulletin board. Yeah. All right. Well, Keon, uh, we, we're going to talk about. We got a bunch of letters for the Norris video. We'll we'll read them without you, but we'll be um, thinking about you. And uh, um, obviously, it's going to be a very difficult few days ahead of you uh, going to uh, a vacation yeah. in Turks and Caicos. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I was, I was really genuinely feeling sorry for her. I was like, poor Keon, you know. <laughs> didn't, didn't, work like, didn't work out. So like her biggest concern <laughs> is how to get ready for the, you know, get the luggage ready. For I the realized mail. that. <laughs> I realized you were getting really <laughs> genuine with your <laughs> wishes. Didn't work. By the way, uh, Kianjan, you asked me that what's the English term for Senjet in the uh, video. It's Russian olive. 
Oh, yeah. Russian. Well, we knowledge. put that in the video. Yeah. Did you oh. not watch the video? Oh, the final <laughs> version. <or laughs> <laughs> oh, Thanks, oh, oh, it's in <laughs> the translation was, is there in the video. Descending quickly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Keon, any f- any final words before uh, you? I mean, we'll. Ca- so you're going to come back with a fabulous tan, obviously. Yes, I'll see you guys Monday. I'll miss you guys. By the way, you look great in the video. I mean, I I don't mean to. Uh, you know reduce you to your looks but uh, <laughs> because we have this ongoing like who can keep up with the in- intermittent fasting it's clearly working better for you than me the camera still adds 15 pounds i like i since that video i think i've really lost weight again that, you, like, you look fabulous i mean i look like you know Pavarotti or something no. like, <laughs> hosting the, like, dom de louise i'm like, like, <laughs> I'm like a chef you know who's uh you know kind French of like chef. come to my home <laughs> come see the the, the, the wall newspaper um, anyway uh <laughs> does anybody does anybody remember uh, dom de louise such a reference uh, from the oh. i'm surprised you know who dom de louise is yeah, isn't that from the no 80s oh okay yeah, yeah my you favorite comedian is don rickles okay. figure. <laughs> yeah uh keon take care of yourself as um thanks i hope thanks. you feel better <laughs> Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye Keon. Bye. No. I don't know how much. You know, don't you want Keon's life? This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe this. Yeah, I'm sick. Because tomorrow I'm going to Turkens Caicos. Hold on. What are you doing? Don't file my nails like that. Like, that's what it feels like. <laughs> uh, you see, you would have known if you had seen her at the salon again, your regular salon that oh, you go to. Uh, Let's like, have, your, have your yeah. beard trimmed. <clears throat> All right. Well, where, where is that place? Turkens what? Turks and Caicos. Caicos. It's like in the Caribbean. It's yeah. near oh. Baha- Bahamas. There are islands. There are islands there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Very fancy, lovely uh, getaway. Yeah. For the weekend, she's just going like for. It's a just few when it's getting warm now. You don't have to go south now. Although exactly. I, I, I think it's great. Good for her. Yeah. Hopefully she'll get, uh, yeah. she'll feel better. All right. So listen, we're gonna get to um, the letters about the Noru's video. We're gonna get to Ash Kusha later in the show. All of that coming up. Um, but first, you know, I do want to talk about the sad loss mm. of an intellectual giant in the Iranian community in the last few days, especially the Iranian diaspora. And right here in Toronto, Canada, uh, Dr. Reza Badahaini was someone that uh, I had had the honor to meet a few times. I'd uh, done a couple of memorable interviews with him in the last 20 years that I will always treasure. He was an Iranian novelist, a poet, and an activist. He was profoundly passionate about free speech, about censorship and human rights, and he was considered by some to be the founder of modern literary criticism in Iran. He was the author of more than 50 books in Persian and English. He taught at the University of Toronto in recent years and was a former president of Penn Canada, an organization that celebrates literature, defends freedom of expression, and aids writers in peril. Dr. Barahini was a captivating speaker, as many of you will know, in both Persian and English. Take a listen to this. زمان کشید جهان را به توبره 
و ناگهان کسی از راه میرسد هزار دیگر و بر مزار سنگی و سخفی و نام و نشانی میافرازد و در برابر آن دو دست بر سینه به سنگ مینگرد میگرید شبیه من yeah. a little sound from the late Dr. Reza Barahini the great Iranian writer who died at the end of last week. To talk about his life and legacy, I'm joined by his son right now, who in fact captured uh, the video that goes with that sound that you just heard on his phone. Arsalon Barahani is a Canadian producer, director, a writer, and artistic director based in Toronto, Montreal, and Los Angeles. His independent films have premiered in some of the most important cinemas and universities around the world. He's the founder of Barahani Films and the artistic director of the Montreal Independent Film Festival. And right now, Arsalan joins me from Toronto today. Hello, Arsalan. Hi, Jian. How are you? Thank you for having me in your show. I'm. I'm. First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss, brother. I, uh, the last few days could not have been easy for you. How How are you doing? Uh well, it, it's been very challenging. I mean, like we didn't expect this uh, heart attack to happen and uh, this happened about three days ago and uh, you know that my father was suffering from alzheimer's for uh the past uh, you know six or seven years but it kept escalating you know this this awful disease and uh he broke his hip and then we couldn't take care of him anymore he was staying at a nursing home the past couple of years and then the pandemic came we couldn't visit him as much as we wanted to so it, it was very challenging very heartbreaking for all of us as a family and uh i mean he he's known as a legendary poet you know he's he's known as the father of literary criticism in iran so uh and he's also perhaps you know the most important iranian canadian figure in the in exile, you know, as the president of Penn Canada, as a university professor, and as an activist, you know. So it's it's been very challenging, very heartbreaking for all of us. And I should thank everyone from, from inside of Iran and outside of Iran who've been sending us all these flowers and messages and everything. And on the other hand, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, extremist groups that are attacking him day and night, trying to disregard what he's done when it comes to the literary language and yeah. poetry in Iran, you know, and his contributions to the literary language. So it's it's a lot going on, my friend. It's a lot let, going on. Let me, I'm, I want to get into to some of that. I know that... Uh, these are difficult days and busy days for you, so I'm, I, I'm, I'll try not to keep Absolutely. you too long. But f- first and foremost, you know, it's there's a funny thing, isn't it? When when somebody has been sick for a while, uh, as your yeah. dad had been, and, and incrementally so, and it was, as you know, it was personally heartbreaking for me because I would ask you in recent years, do you think he'd be okay to do an interview? And you would just say, you know, he's just not totally able to do that, you know, in terms of his, his faculties and his abilities. But there's this notion that when somebody has been sick, it's somehow easier or expected or 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 you know softens the blow when when they pass but that that's not really true is it um honestly his passing was somewhat gradual for me as a son because i saw him uh i saw his disease and how it kept you know eating him up and how it progressed 
every single day that was passing, you know. So it, it was kind of gradual. It was kind of a gradual death. But if a family member's death is never easy, you know, right, regardless right. of your relationship, even all the, all the relation, you in, in all our relationships as fathers and sons, we have our ups and downs, obviously, you know. But losing a father is never easy, you know, and especially for him because we were really close. I mean, like our relationship was not just like a traditional father-son relationship. It was more of a, like an artistic friendship, a very mm. close friendship. Mm. There was no, like, he was always against censorship, and you know that, you know, how much he fought for, for censorship in Iran, yes. for human rights in Iran, in both regimes. I mean, like, here's a man who was imprisoned in both regimes, in yes. Shah's regime and then the Islamic regime. And here's a man who had to migrate and, and live in exile twice in both regimes. You know, and uh, a lot of people, you know, like, unfortunately, extremist groups that are in the media right now, they, they don't care about the literature, the writing, the poetry and what he's done when it comes to human rights. And they just they're very ideological and they're trying to create their own character from this important literary figure, which is international. And it just it doesn't belong just to the Iranians. It belongs to the world, you know. Did you, did, how, how, Arsalan, how aware was he? Uh, I would think it'd be crushing, especially for such, an, such a brilliant intellectual. How aware was he in recent years that he was slowly, that his mind was ebbing? He was somewhat aware, but, you know, he was trying to deny it. He wouldn't accept it because the people who have Alzheimer's, they don't know they have Alzheimer's. Mm. They don't remember and they, they don't know that they're forgetting you know they and then alzheimer's not just about your memory you you uh you start getting paranoid about everything that is happening around you so it's like paranoia hallucinations you know memory and all these things you know uh, combined together and it's it, it's it's very painful uh, for him and the rest of the family members to take care of him. And I honestly, like, I never talked about his Alzheimer's much because I, I didn't want to basically bring this up in the media, but it was very painful for me to take care of him for years, me and my mom. Because, you know, my older brother lives back home in Iran. Yes, yes. Uh, my uh, stepsister is in the States in Washington, and sometimes she helped us out uh, when we needed help, you know, a few times, uh, you know, he went to the States and, you know, he stayed there. But most of the time he was here with us and we were trying our best to take care of him and uh, do our best. But at some point, you know, like when he fell down in the shower and broke his hip, then it, he went to the hospital and it, just, it was just out of our control. We couldn't do anything afterwards. You know, we couldn't take care of him. He needed to be under uh, supervision of the nurses full time, you know. But, uh, you know, they're, they're not aware that they're developing Alzheimer's. And that's what makes it a lot more challenging, yeah. you know. I, I, yeah. I want to get into his life and, and his legacy and, and some of the ways that he's been seen, as you say, through an ideological uh, lens, uh, usually unfairly, I, I think, in, in recent days. But before we get there, just, just, uh, just personally, how would you, for somebody who'd never met him, how would you describe your dad? I would describe him as, the, as, as uh, one of the most legendary Iranian and Persian 
poets who, who basically, like, you know that we are also Azerbaijani Turks, but mm. my father is one of the most important Persian poets, and he's also known as the father of literary criticism in Iran. This is something that didn't exist like this, you know, uh, before the publishing of some of his books, which dealt with, uh, which dealt with literary criticism in Iran, you know, such as Talad Amnes, all the other books that he's written, you know, Kimya Hawk, many others, you know. Uh, I would describe him as one of the most legendary Iranian poets and human rights activists. That's how I would describe him. You you profiled him in one of the the three films you made in a trilogy called the Exilic Trilogy in 2015. That's true. What 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 did you want people to see in him in that film? Well, uh, the film was basically, you know, the film deals with exile and the exilic mind. I know you spoke to him before about the exilic mind yes. and liminality, yes. perhaps, and some of those things. And and I was fascinated with that because there is a part of his legacy and biography which deals with the exilic mind and what happens to the mind of the artist in exile, you know? Yes. And perhaps... A lot of people that live in Iran, they don't know about this aspect or this side of his life, you know. Uh, so I wanted to bring some of that into this film. And the film is al- called Alchemy and Dust. So it's basically about how a poet takes the words and he turns it into gold. You know what I mean? So it's an alchemical literary process with poetry. And you know how important the Persian poetry is. Persian poetry is known as one of the most important, influential, and powerful poetries in the world, you know? Uh, So the film is a very poetic film, and I'm narrating the film as his son, shooting the film in exile. So the film deals with exile, his life, from my point of view, basically, and it's it's the colliding of basically the uh, camera and the poetry and uh, the words and the camera and his life together, you know? Uh, it's a, it's a half an hour episode as part of the Exilic Trilogy, which was released in, the, in a few cities in the States and in Canada as well, you know? It's very powerful. I think you think you may be able to, people may be able to find it online if they search for it, but uh, it's um, it, it's powerful. And you're right. I mean, I, I had a couple of interviews with him. One, one, the one that I always remember was in 2006. We did this. It was about an hour-long interview. It was a national interview. It was live. And he just blew me away. I was a little nervous at first. I was, th- you know, I didn't know him at that point. I was like, I'm, I'm speaking to this important Iranian uh you know, poet and novelist, and 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 we're we're live, and I want to represent the Iranian. You know, yeah. well, it's a, but he was amazing. He, the, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, he is known as this in, incredible orator in Persian, but I, I I just want to underline that he was also an incredible orator in English, and and That's his true. his explication of what he was of the exilic mindset in that interview is something that has stayed with me for the last six years as as a really powerful you know one of those um, um, ways of deconstructing the Iranian mindset those of us who live outside of Iran especially um, Iranian mindset that I've not heard anyone else touch in such a, um, a profound and personal way and and it was um, it was very memorable and interesting of course because he was you know um, not just doing this as an intellectual but he was speaking of himself as a writer in exile your your family was forced to leave in Iran, Iran in the 90s. That's you true. were about 14 because of your dad's stance yes. against censorship. What what can you tell us about that time? 
Well, you have to remember, my dad's PhD is in English language, you know, and uh, obviously his greatest talent was in linguistic structures, you know, and this was his gift from childhood because he was born in a poor family in, you know, the Tabriz city in Azerbaijan, obviously, of course. you know, he was born in a very poor family there, but uh, from a, from perhaps the, you know, from the elementary school, this, this person was fascinated with language and this was his greatest gift and he dedicated his life and legacy to, to the language and literally language, you know, and this was not just the Persian language, he defended the other languages, including his own mother tongue, you know? And that's why some of the people are, like, are very ideological, because the nationalists don't like the fact that he defended the other minorities in Iran and their languages, you know, sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, my dad, uh, during the Shah's regime, my dad was imprisoned. And uh, I wasn't born during the Shah's regime. I was born in the, after the revolution myself, you know. So he moved out of Iran. He was fighting against the Shah's regime. And all our intellectuals, they thought they were going to have some sort of, you know, human rights and freedom of speech when the Shah is gone. You know the rest of the story and what happened sure. after the revolution, sure. obviously. You know, a lot of the people are trying to judge our intellectual movement and what happened in our history based on the Iranian revolution and that timeline where they were fighting against Shah's regime. And they're trying to condemn all our intellectuals because they were speaking against Shah's regime because of the Savak and because of the tortures and because of the human rights elements, you know. But what happened afterwards that my dad was very hopeful that the revolution was going to change the country, just like the rest of the intellectuals. Sure. He returned to Iran with my mom and my older brother from the state. He was all, you know, he was also teaching in the states. He was teaching in various universities in the states, you know. And he returned to Iran, but what happened was devastating for him and for the rest of the family. He was fired from university. He was imprisoned again. And then when he was active in the Writers Association of Iran, they wrote the most important letter when it comes to censorship and freedom of speech in Iran, the 134 le uh, writers' letters. And they sent it to Arthur Miller and, you know, the International Ten, and yes. everyone supported that letter, and uh, it became huge in the world, you know. It was like perhaps the, one of the most important movements that came out of Iran and the Writers Association. But then there were threats and then there were the chain murders of Iran. And some of his friends, such as Mohammad Mukhtari, were killed during the chain murders. Yes. This was the main reason for why we had to uh, settle in Canada and apply for uh, uh, like a refugee status yeah, in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were and you, been, were like, you, how, how aware were, I mean, were you fearful as a kid when you were in Iran? Were you aware? That I knew what was happening because they were watching their house full time and then they were taking him for questionings and then the other writers like, the, like Saeed C. Johnny and many others were like arrested, you know, like, uh, they were imprisoned and there were lots of things happening. Like they came to him and said, we'll cut you up if you don't stop talking, you know? And this is what they did to his friend. That's why we had to stay here and settle here. And, uh, he, he, he stayed as an exiled writer for all the rest of his life, you know, till his death. He stayed in exile. Ashlan, do you know why he was 
Uh, I mean, did he ever talk to you about why he was so committed to um, to free speech, to fighting censorship? I mean, he, he could have been, he was a great writer, a poet, a uh, fiction writer. He didn't need to be as much of an activist as he, he, he was one of the founders of the, the Writers Association of Iran in the late 60s, all the way up to working with Penn Canada, etc. Why, why was that so important to him? Well, Jian, you have to remember, most of our intellectuals in Iran, throughout the history of Iran, they have struggled with the authorities when it came to freedom of speech and censorship. All they demanded and all that they wanted was to be able to write freely. When it came to their characters, when it, come to, when it came to their novels, when it came to their political or social views, you know, we have the right as a human being to write freely and express our opinions freely. You know what I mean? And a lot of people right now in the West are even fighting for freedom of speech, you know? Sure. And for, the, for obviously in, in, in a patriarchal, masculine, traditional culture and civilization such as the Middle East, it's, it's, it's been a lot more worse. And even right now, we have many people who are fighting against censorship, but they're following in his footsteps. You know what I mean? Like some of his students, some of the people in the Writers Association in Iran, we have the same things happening all over, or even the, the filmmakers in Iran, you know, or all the artists, you know, all, the, all that the Iranian intellectuals wanted was to be able to write freely. But because of this, all of them were somewhat politicized and got involved with political or social issues, you know? And a lot of times, they didn't even want to become political characters. They just cared about their own arts. Hmm. You know? And I, and I believe this is what might have happened to my dad, too, you know? Because what he cared about was his artistic character, literature, writing, poetry. But when somebody comes and tells you, you can't write this, you have to get rid of this sentence. You have to get rid of this character. Then obviously you're going to go and say, you know, like, I don't accept the censorship. I'm tired of it. How, how hard was it? How hard was it for him to not be able to return to Iran or visit Iran? In the it last was very hard. It was very hard. It's, it's been very hard for all of us. You know, even for me, you know, I came here when I was 14. Sometimes I wish I could, you know, just, I, you know, all of us, maybe even you in your subconscious, we would have loved to have a country where we could have lived and worked freely. Oh, not you know my subconscious. I mean? I, I'd, I'd, I'd go there tomorrow if I could. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, same, yeah, same thing. You know, yeah. I wish I had the ability to make a film in Iran without censorship, yeah. without being worried about any sort of authority. You know what I mean? Uh, but And it was very difficult for him, especially in the last few years after, like, because, you know, at some point he was the president of Penn Canada, obviously he was very active, you know, uh, in the Iranian community, the Iranian Canadian community, the Canadian community with Massey College, York University. Uh, so he was busy with all these things. But then when he stopped working, he became very lonely. At some point he came to me and said, you're my best friend because nobody comes to visit me. Oh. You know, and that was very heartbreaking. I remember uh, one one day I hugged him, and then uh, he was like crying and saying, "Like, I think you're my best friend now." You know, so it, it's it's been very, it's been very challenging for all of us. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a tough and I, and I and I and I understand the anger that even some of the extremist groups and the younger generation of people have, because I believe that millions of Iranians outside the country are angry too because they want to have a country, they want to have a homeland, they want to belong to somewhere, they 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 respect their language, their culture, their tradition to some extent. Even if they don't, they want to see some revision. They want to see a better future for the country where they could live together. And I hope to see some sort of unity at some point amongst Iranians instead of seeing them fight with each other continuously, yeah. day and night, you know? Well, I have to say, that, I mean, that that <clears throat> that clip we pay, played, that passage we played, that clip from your father, it, it really is somewhat prophetic he's he's talking about how we project all kinds of ideas and opinions and I, I, identity that's onto true. a tomb when someone has died and, and that's happening to his legacy already as you've intimated uh, throughout this interview can you can you talk about how you've been affected by how your dad has been talked about in the last few days well first first of all poetry and art itself is somewhat prophetic you know what i mean you always project yourself. You always bring. You always bring something from inside of yourself, from your subconscious, from your past, and then you're projecting your future to some extent too. You know, that's an element of art, and it, it has nothing to. I can't say it's mystical, but it might sound somewhat mystical. You know, even though he wasn't into mysticism, but some of his poems are actually they're very musical. They're very prophetic at some point. Uh, like I sometimes post some of his poets on social media and it seems like he's talking about himself, about his future. And the same thing has happened in his novels sometimes, mm. you know? Uh, so that's absolutely right. What you just said about it being kind of prophetic, you know? And, and how, how are you affected by what you've talked about that, the different groups sort of taking kind of, uh, you know, using his name in one way or another I, to, uh, yeah, I believe in dialogue, and that is what he believes in. This is what I learned from my father, too. And I believe that our intellectual movement itself demands not just freedom of speech or, like, human rights or the elimination of censorship. It's about being able to have dialogue. You know what I mean? Somebody might say that he doesn't believe in God, and somebody else might say that he believes in God. This doesn't mean that you should be enemies. Somebody else could be a leftist and have their own way of thinking, you know? To have dialogue is progress, and it's more democratic to have dialogue, I guess. But unfortunately, our community is missing this. Everybody has become very ideological. Everybody sees the world as black and white. So yeah. this, is, this is very painful, you know? So you can't really have dialogue with somebody who's already made his mind with absolute terms and definitions you know I really appreciate you taking the time today I, I before I mean I know what it's like to lose a dad a dad who uh, you really um, love and respect as much as uh, I did my dad and you did yours and 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 it is not it, it is not an easy thing and I and I know this is a, a difficult time for you and I I appreciate the time you've taken to to talk about him a little bit with us you know you said something interesting when we began you said your your relationship with uh, dr. Barhani was not was not that of a father son but was of of two artists or, or can can you speak about that a little bit 
It was it was a very close relationship. I know a lot of his secrets. I know a lot of his biography. He reveals things to me because I think maybe subconsciously he thought that at some point maybe I'll be able to reveal some of these things. You know what I mean? And he trusted me with those things. He was very open. He was a very open-minded character. The elimination of censorship from lit- from like in Iran was not just in those terms, but it applied to our family too. So we had a family that was very open with each other, you know, and in all terms and in all relationships. So uh, we were very close. We used to like laugh a lot, talk a lot at night. We used to walk around the house, talk about history, about arts, about literature, about filmmaking. And I think filmmaking contributed to this because when I started studying films, Obviously, I talked more to him about my own work, about my own scripts, because I wanted to know what he thinks about my own writing or like uh, my my film projects. And then I started. I noticed that he was about to uh, basically lose his memory at some point. So I started to record a portion of his life, mm. you know, and turn it into a film in Alchemy and Dust, and my other film, A Poet Is Killed, which deals with. Uh, censorship and human rights and the yes. chain murders in Iran. Yes. He's also one of the main characters in that film. And the rest of all the material that we see from my father in uh, BBC Persia, Iran International, and Voice America, all of them actually come from my studio, you know? But, and I'm glad I did this, like, because uh, it was right on time. And if I missed it by a few months or a few years, it would have been impossible for me to have those footages you know and a part of it goes back to our personal relationship and how he trusted me and how close we were together not just as a father and son because we didn't have a typical father-son relationship as i mentioned to you it wasn't like a traditional father-son relationship you know was he hard on you artistically would he look at your work and be critical or would you no in fact you know i i don't mention this a lot but I always know that he was the first person who encouraged me from childhood when it came to arts. And he encouraged a lot of other younger generations as well. And right now in Iran, I see a lot of his fans are the younger generation who never met him, but they communicate, they connected Mm -hmm. to his work, to his poetry or to his writings you know did you did you ever feel pressure did you ever uh, i mean did you ever lament the fact that you i i think i remember once after a screening of your film you told me that it's it 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 sucks that people always want to talk to you about your dad you know Uh, i I, felt pressured and i still do feel pressured by the fact that everybody wants to give a single identity ideologically to our family uh, I might have my own differences from my own father when it comes to uh, my own historical, political, social, or artistic views. His uh, views might be different to me, you know? So you can't just, like, a lot of people want to say, you have the same views, you have the same character. So if somebody hates my dad right now, they hate me. And if they love him, they love me. That doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? But this is what happens, obviously, in... Uh, traditional, somewhat patriarchal cultures. And in patriarchal cultures, they always have more respect for the elder people too, you know. So your dad always comes first. 
That's why I ran away from the Iranian community. I'm trying to always work outside the Iranian community. But then this Iranian identity is always with me, regardless of where I go, because yeah. it's, it's, it's a part of me, you know? I can't get rid of it. So that's why even though I live outside of Iran, even though I kind of grew up outside of Iran, a lot of my films still deal with the Iranian uh they see with the Iranians and yeah, the uh, Persian yeah. language and the Iranian culture yeah. and the Iranian system. How could you, know, you quit it? Particularly you, the you, intellectual you, yeah. movement. In Iran. You, you can't quit it. You're the, it's not. It's not going to be possible. You can't quit. <laughs> what? Um, last question to you. What? What? What will you? What will you miss the most about your dad? I miss talking to him. I miss talking to him, walking around and talking with each other. You know. Walking around, and sometimes we used to get in fights too, because like obviously not physical fights, but then we'd have arguments, you know. Like I'd talk about something in history, or he'd say, "No, I think it's like this," and I said, "No, it's like this," and then we'd get into these huge arguments. But I miss those arguments. I miss those moments, you know. Late at night, imagine the whole world is sleeping, and then you're talking to, you're walking around talking to your dad. And you're talking about some of the most important uh, artistic or social or political or cultural things in society or uh, the history of mankind. And then uh, you get into a fight and two hours later, you're still talking to each other because we never disconnected. So it wasn't like we missed talking to each other for a day. No, we talked to each other all the time, even if we had an argument. And I've never had this relationship with anybody, you know? Aslan John, I'm so I'm so sorry for you and your your family. My condolences. I'm so sad that to not have your dad around. Um, I and Vaughan Tasliat Migam, and I really thank you for taking the time and and. Uh, um, my it was my pleasure to speak to you, Gian, and uh, thank you for your kind words. Uh, I appreciate it. Take care of yourself, brother. You take care too, buddy. Hold on. Thank you. Bye, bye. Aslan. Uh, an Iranian-Canadian writer, producer, and director, and the son of the late Dr. Reza Badahani. Arsalan joined us from Toronto today.
the sounds of the song The Dance of Damovand. Uh, that is a version of the Rook theme mm. that we released last week. Um, and the lyrics by our very own Shia. Uh, and that's Rana Mansour um, singing and playing the piano. Uh, and the music composed by me. Yes. And that is, uh, we did a, a video that featured um, dancers inside Iran with a message about dancing in Iran. So basically the song is a tribute to the artists uh, in Iran and around the world, Iranian artists. So uh, if you want to see that video, you can go to our YouTube channel or our Instagram or our website, rookmedia.com, and see the dance of Damovan there. All right. Um, we have uh, Ash Kusha coming up, but uh, but first, it's Monday. Even though Keon's not here, it's time for Letters of the Week. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Raz, are you going to help me out with these letters? All of God, Monsieur. Monsieur. Yes, we. Oh, oui. I wasn't sure what you said there. <laughs> so, like you said, miss you. <laughs> I uh, miss you. We have the the our, this a couple of days ago. In mm-hmm. fact, we put out our 2022 Noru's home video. This is becoming an annual tradition now, yeah, where we put out our fun. our uh, yearly Noru's video, where we only speak in Farsi, mm-hmm. and uh, we. Uh, Get reflective and we do some dancing around and uh so we've gotten a, a bunch of comments and letters on that we'll get to those today for our letters of the week this is um oh i'm supposed to pick a letter of the week because keon isn't here which one can i pick here uh i think okay the last one all right so on instagram we had a setare madavi who said happy noru's rook family this is the most touching video i've seen in the 1401 year that's oh, this year, right? Yeah. I laughed out loud and cried hard. You guys are amazing. Thanks for bringing us to your home. Wish you all the best. I like it. It sounds like we all live in the same home. Yeah. <laughs> we all live at Gion's. God, God forbid. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that's really lovely. That's awesome. The most yeah. touching video. Very nice. Okay, you're, in, you're up. I'll, I'll read Thanks, this Thanks, Satoria. I'll read this one. Mona Ismailian wrote to us saying... Thank you all. It's my very first year not being in, in Iran, especially during the No Rules. It was so emotional. Happy No Rules, Rock Media. Thank you for that, Mona. And of course, that the second half of the video is really a conversation about uh, what you guys who grew up in Iran miss about not being there for No Rules now, and what those of us who grew up in the West saw No Rules as, and what we're missing out on. Yeah. So it got reflective, and uh, people are reacting to that. This. Uh, uh, also on Instagram from Fereshte Noor, who said, so good to see all your beautiful faces. Uh, always listen to your podcast and imagined your faces except for Shia. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean because she... She's, yeah, she's seen, seen my face you, or doesn't yes, want to imagine yes. my face. <laughs> no, she's uh, seen you everywhere. Thank you, Fetish. And yeah, it is nice to see everybody's face. It is. It is. Put a face to the voice. And on that note, we have another letter, uh, Ozzy Karami, who wrote, happy, to, happy you decided to make another No Ruse Home video. I was so excited to see the Rook team and get to hear you all speaking Farsi. Mm. Thank you, Ozzy. Very nice. And uh, Aryan Nazi, uh, Nazi says, what a beautiful tribute to Noruz. I got goosebumps and tears in my eyes. Bravo, Team Rook. 
Happy Noru's kiddos. Very nice. Thank you for that, Nazi. Next is Homeira Tahvil Dari. I laughed a lot and cried a bit. You guys rock. Happy Noru's Gianna Rook team. Nice. And from Paddy Noz Telekani, thank you, dear Gianna, an amazing Rook team. It brought back so many memories of Iran and aid. So nice. Uh, on YouTube, we had Turaj Khosravi. Uh, who wrote? Can I be? <laughs> can I be part of the team? I'm being serious and re- ready to change my career overnight. I got a few of these. I got, I'm not gonna lie. I got a few DMs from people saying, I "Can I be part of you?" They, they want to. Yeah, they want to hang mean, out with us. I guess we we put out the fiction that we all get along and have a good time. With I know that it's other. a lot of fun doing yeah. this job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> little do people know how we really feel. I know. No, that's really nice that people it's got that lovely. impression. Uh, Dr. Ami Ruzati, Norus Tabrik to the entire team uh, with the great dance moves. Great to see everyone on video. Gian's Farsi had a big improvement this year. Well, I, I think that's uh, probably true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, I agree. And finally, the letter of the week. Yeah. Yes, you go for it. Yeah, I'll go. And the letter of the week goes to Honey Aryan. Lovely Honey Aryan wrote, I nearly cried laughing. You guys are the cutest ever i know the smell of spring you spoke of and it's the most brilliant the video was very well done happy no nice. thank you honey john thank you honey and uh and that was a that was a revelation to me that there's this um i've now spoken to a few people about it who go yeah absolutely that there's actually a scent a smell of spring that mm-hmm. people associate with Iran and yeah. Noru's time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the video, Shai, you say, Bosmikuni, you open the door mm-hmm. of your house yes. and you can... You can smell it. Yeah. yeah. It's Especially if you're in Shiraz. It's famous. Bahar Shiraz. Yeah, Bahar, it's famous. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a smell, yeah, scent. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, your comments, your notes. You can always write us uh, for if you want to write a longer letter to info at rookmedia.com or post on any of our platforms. And uh, you can find all of the content including the Noru's video at rookmedia.com Well, in an age of rapidly changing and evolving technological growth, what is the future of music and music creation? And what role might the metaverse and artificial intelligence play in the sounds you consume while you're cooking, dancing, jogging, or going to a concert? My next guest today is an Iranian-born, London-based electronic musician and a familiar face and voice for many Iranians both inside and outside of Iran. He's a futurist, but also an artist whose own electronic sounds create captivating oral landscapes. Take a listen to this.
taste of a track from Ashkon Kusha Najaz, or more simply Ash Kusha. The track is called Mudda Fossil from 2016 in the album I, a.k.a. I. So Ash was born in Iran, spent his early years between Tehran and Frankfurt, always fascinated by rock music at first. Ash says he watched MTV at night, bought cassettes of the Rolling Stones on the black market on the streets of Tehran in the 90s. He studied classical music at the Tehran Conservatory of Music and was one of the first students who was making music with a computer. He formed an indie rock band called Take It Easy Hospital with singer-songwriter Negar Shakaki and was the co-star of Batman Globadi's acclaimed movie No One Knows About Persian Cats. You may remember that from 2009, exploring the underground music scene in Tehran. Ash sought asylum in the UK thereafter, partly as a result of the reaction to the film in Iran. More recently, Ash has been working in the realm of the intersection between music creation and artificial intelligence and is the founder of the company OxHuman Inc. with the technological mission of building virtual musicians. Right now, Ash Kusha joins me from London, England. Hello, sir. Hey, it's it's nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to have you on the program, and nice to know that you're in the in the city of my birth, uh, a London boy. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's amazing. London is great. Um, yeah, I didn't know that, by the way. That's good. Yeah, so you're a Londoner. <laughs> I say it as much as I can because I'm a prou- proud yeah. Londoner. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about you and thinking I my term for you is digital explorer. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, you, and, and, and even in the music you create, your pieces flow uh, as the one we just heard, but they have this wondrous improvisational appeal to them. It's almost like, um, I was thinking it's like listening to a, a Keith Jarrett concert, uh, for those who will get the reference to, to the famous jazz penis, where you don't know what's premeditated, what is spontaneous. So in a piece like the one we just heard, how much of that was prescribed and how much of is it is it, is it you just being adventurous while recording? Um, I would say most of it is just being adventurous just because my um, core thesis around just making things and my general activities in life is around experimentation. Just like looking into what is possible rather than what has been possible for a long time and just following that. And during that process, you usually find yourself in a space where you just like do things that don't make sense to yourself or others, but you have to be okay with that. So my experimentations, now let's go deep into the lab. Um, It was all about years and years of studying spatial theory versus sound science, which was, um, I mean, in in my um, realm, I tried to um, find a way to look at music as um, physical space or a speculative physical space or virtual reality. Let me stop you there because you've already already lost me and probably most of the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's your intent as a digital explorer, but but let me me just uh, unpack what you've just said. First of all, three steps, four steps back. Why the yearning for experimentation? I mean, do you do you get bored just playing a Beatles song or a Dariush song for that matter? Um, it, it, what, what, where did this desire to need to be experimental come from? It's it's a difference between when I make stuff, whether it's like working in, in music or movies and technology software, um, 
that is completely different than when I listen to music. I listen to like acoustic, like folk music, classical music, soundtracks. It doesn't matter. Like when I listen to sound, I love melody and emotions and uh, and sort of emotion building. But you don't want to create that? Um, But when I do it myself, uh, even though I love to play some melody in there, there is there is emotion. I still want to have a question of what is possible. Mm. Um, that's one of the reasons that I am not actually very active in in the music industry as an artist. And over the years, I've been known to work on system innovation in a sense. It's like what is the medium, what mm-hmm. is it about, and what what the structure of music production is, and. And didn't want to really focus on myself being the product, the commodity in music. And experimentation in general comes from my long, long uh, interest in futurology. Mm. Even it's funny when we were doing the, the the Persian Cast movie. Even though I was like this, like young, like indie rock musician, and everybody looked at it as a culturally important move. Um, which it was, in my opinion. Yes, yes. On a personal level, it was an experiment on what is possible and why is it that we live in a country where um, we look at the outside and aesthetically, technically, and culturally, and economically, and socially, there are many, many other things possible that we're not doing. So it was just that. It was, it was pretty much an experiment around that. Uh, but of course, when a film comes out like that, and it's a big film, and it's a documentary film, uh, and you're one of the co-stars, that's how people start to identify you. And so it seems like, wait, the guy from that indie rock band is now doing electronic music to the outside world, right? Um, w- one of the things that's 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 fascinating about your yen, your story, is that most of the people I think about that I've ever interviewed who are doing really interesting futuristic things in the digital space come from the digital space, like a a computer guy who's uh, flirting with music. You come from studying classical music composition. So tell me about how that led you into gravitating towards- There's a story there though. Uh, Until the age of like six, seven, believe it or not, I say this to a lot of people and they're like, you, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's, this is not possible. I didn't know that instruments existed. I thought everything I see on MTV and like uh, back then were like classical channels and concerts. Um, everything is digitally constructed. Hmm. Everything is like made using a computer or like sophisticated broadcasting technology. I was a kid. I, was, I only looked at the computer in our house. And the way I was uh, using Commodore 64s and and basic uh, sort of computer language to make tones, and I thought, oh my God, they're making a lot better music than me, better melodies, because they have more sophisticated compute. <laughs> that's how I knew music until six, seven years old. Uh, actually, that's when we returned to Iran from Germany when I was a kid, and that's when I actually started seeing um, a little bit more into society and. and people playing it and uh-huh. I, I thought when people played instruments when i was five that that was a mimicking of the digital sound wow what, what a counterintuitive counterintuitive <laughs> thing to think it's it's, yeah. it's quite interesting so so okay but wait so you then you find out that people are playing instruments 
Um, I, I mean, part of where I want to go with this is that you're a um, not to take anything away from people who are, um, you know, only operate on, on computers, et cetera, but you're a legit musician and a classical one, yeah. but you gravitated towards the computers, towards the digital space rather than analog or acoustic music. You don't want to sit and play a piano or an acoustic guitar. Uh, I do it at home sometimes, but I don't want to uh, sort of explore it further. I think it's perfect. It's just like it's done and, and you can do many things. And it's like um, that intuition, that acoustic and uh, and sort of uh, tactile uh, physical hardware mm-hmm. gives us that. That is perfect, in my opinion. It's just the way it is. But um, you have you, nothing to add to that. You don't want to. There's yeah, no- you just explore the notations and like new forms of playing. Like you can't really start like rubbing your feet on the guitar string and say, oh, this is innovation. Right. No, but can it's you listen? Like but can you listen to a new Ed Sheeran song and go, oh, he's taken the old form of a guy playing an acoustic guitar and written yeah, a great new melody. That's exactly why I hate Ed Sheeran. I mean, not him, <laughs> himself, but his music. Right. <laughs> it's because it's just like trying to it's trying to say oh i'm innovating using a gu- guitar no you dude like you you write songs like okay like you have have the chord structure that's been repeated and, and you know it, but when people start doing like these loops things and like they try to innovate using something that works perfectly i it just doesn't appeal to me i mean it appeals to millions of people that's why for example acoustic music okay i i love this band called big thief mm-hmm. The reason for that is that they don't follow any gimmick. It's just like they love to engage as a person with an instrument mm-hmm. to to generate a sonic space for you with lyrics that they believe it's honest and it works for them as a, as a person. Uh, first of all, having met and interviewed uh, dear Ed Sheeran a couple of times, I won't take this assault on uh, poor Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but really, what is, um, I, I think I know what you're going to say to this, but, but, but what, is, what is wrong with Ed Sheeran? If, if Ed Sheeran plays the guitar, yes, he didn't invent the guitar, he didn't invent the, the acoustic you know, song craft, and, and, and he's not necessarily doing anything new, but if he, if he writes a melody that inspires the masses in the process of doing that and has a sweet voice, what's wrong with that? Oh, I, I like that. That's, that's like saying, yeah, it's the same argument with food, right? They always say it with fast foods, like you repeat the formulas and, and the sauce in, in creating like the best taste. But whatever is underneath and whatever process is not necessarily innovation. In my opinion, it's just like appealing to masses and keeping them going. Right, right. That's the stimuli that human right. civilization needs in order to run and move forward, right? And I really appreciate that job, but they reward it really well. People like Ed Sheeran, sure, right? Pop stars sure. are rewarded really well because they follow this uh, this very um, specific task of producing a product, a, a type of commodity that people listen to, and uh, they sort of snap to it, and they keep moving forward to the next one, right? Mm. So, but in the context of innovation, that, that's what I'm saying. Like the melody, I'm fine with that. Ed Sheeran, like amazing, like he's prolific writing songs for other people as well right. but in the context of innovation uh <laughs> trying to uh, do some gymnastics on fucking guitars that's not right. to me I that's not you. innovation. I, I, I got you but yeah. uh, and i should just note that i mean you are an experimental musician 
but you were doing pretty well. I mean, if you you could carve out a career as an experimental musician, it's it's not like that door wasn't open to you, and so you you had to find other things to do. It's that you are, were feeling this need that you had to ask these questions and move beyond just just music. Sure, I mean, uh, if you, I mean, Google says I'm a musician, right? But in in a sort of um, conventional sense or meaning i'm not a uh, career musician or or a musician for that matter i don't think the ability to do something makes you that thing hmm. right um so if i can make a ton of music and like come up with new melodies i'm not a musician musicians devotion to the practice and uh devotion to the people who consume it uh, at least on a sort of career level um, what I am interested in is building what potentials exist in the world that mm. we haven't. And I've started coming out of music to close proximities of those potentials. And I mean, the the current update is that I've completely moved on even from the product company that I was in recently, just like two months ago, three months ago. And I'm now I've started a new company, very well funded, called Orbit with my brother for the first time. That we're building the next generation of cloud computing um, for immersive products. Wow. Okay. Let me let me get to orbit. Yeah. But I, um, first of all, I love the the ongoing um, disconnect between who we are and what Google says we are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just playing catch up to what Google <laughs> claims that yeah. you are based on what others think, right? Um, you you referenced uh, Oxhuman, and this is where I really wanted to go with this interview because I'm it it really um, it gets my mind going thinking about the idea of virtual musicians. So, tell me about the founding of Oxhuman uh, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, um, and which is I guess short for Auxiliary Humans, right? Yes. Um, the 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 precipitant and what the original mission of it was. Yeah, so I was making a record during my time with Ninja Tune, and we didn't end up re sort of releasing some of the records. And I was like, no, I need to move on to something else. And I was working on this record that had um, guest musicians, specifically uh, vocalists. And and then during that process, I just decided, you know what? I don't want to work with human guest vocalists. All due respect to all those amazing singers. I mean, they're, they're still some of my favorite musicians. But I was like, I have managed to synthesize everything. I can fake. I, I remember this specific example. I recorded a sound of cleaning the glass this like screechy weird sound that it makes it's annoying and i turned it into a violin sounding synthesis right mm -hmm. the synthesizer and and that was kind of the final the holy grail of synthesis was like can i just come up with a voice uh, model where i can just use and it might sound really wonky and bad but still it would make sense emotionally and that's the f the first track called Yona 1.1. It was just like a vo like a fake voice guest on my record, actual. And during that time, I wrote some notes on what is uh, the, the sort of value of uh, emotional uh, synthesis, like synthetic emotions and expressions. Mm -hmm. Why do we need them? And looked at um, 
assistance, voice assistance, why do we not use Siri? Why do we not use a voice like Alexa? And there are many reasons uh, for that that we can get into, but broadly speaking, it was because the use of synthetic emotion in assistance are very dissonant with how we want to communicate. For example, if I order my phone constantly to do something, that that is bad spirit. It's like I'm constantly ordering, it's like enslaving a fake entity. So that was not the right use of synthetic beings or virtual beings. That initiated the idea of why don't we look at video games and um, how they use CGI and computer graphics to make these characters in games that are not players. They call them NPCs, non-player characters, right? You go on GTA or any video game, they're players and they're non-players. They're built by the company that built the story and they're just there, they live their lives. And I, I want to expand on that, but through music as well. It's like, what if I go to Grand Theft Auto Five and there's a musician? And what uh -huh. if they have a life? What uh -huh. if they have a social media account? What, uh. what if they are on Twitter or whatever, right? How do we synthesize that? And that's the, the, the beginning of building Yona and then subsequently auxiliary human company, which refers to NPCs that have emotions and intelligence. But part of your mission is just not around your music, or at least for with your, your mission with Oxhuman, was, was uh, to be creating the conditions where anyone can be a musician, right? Because by they, they can be a vert, they they are virtual musicians. Uh, yeah. And if I understand this correctly, based on what you've said today and and some of the research I did with you in your project, it's it's you're suggesting that there's enough music out there already through the generations, through the different musical genres, through the different styles on the internet, et cetera, that. A virtual musician can be aggregating, can be taking pieces of all of the music that exists out there to create new music. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a collage. It's it's a song of all songs. And so that's how I make music, by the way. I have a record, I'm not going to say which one, that is entirely, as an experiment, made of very well-known Nazis pop, like Timbaland okay. music almost, right? And I mean, Timbaland, go sue me. You can't really find the sample because it's so processed, right? That was an experience. It was a point I was trying to make. It was that um, composition off of recorded sound can be so complex, but yet emotional, that we are looking at a new type of uh, music that uses something called propagation. And I'll get to that. Okay, but here's where I wanted to yeah. push back because you, it sounds like you're separating creating from curating, right? You're saying you, you no longer need to, you know, learn the chords and figure out how to write the song, et cetera. You take what's out there, you curate it and put it together. But my argument would be that that curation still takes creative talent. You know, even even these DJs who have been used just using samples. I remember once interviewing Dead Mouse, and he kind of went, "I'm not a musician. I'm just a guy who knows how to use the computer." But you know, actually, Dead Mouse knows he's got the creative wherewithal to put a bunch of samples together that become appealing to a mass crowd. Right? That's still a, a creativity that you're not going to be able to find in just anybody. Right? That's true. And um, you can build systems around informing how you compose. So 
one of the inventions of human humans I, I would say i would say in music was midi format which was like creating patterns around melody and rhythm and information and that is becoming more and more sophisticated as we move forward but the the ideas around um sampling mm -hmm. i would say is the most interesting area to me and how composition can be informed by 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 structure and not by in, intention around writing classical melody you know how to put sounds together yes but um we have achieved a point in artificial intelligence and audio specifically around uh what open ai has done recently with something called jukebox where they have um where a machine has learned basically um, was like millions of songs patterns through a language of a thousand and something. I, I forgot the number. Mm -hmm. I should be remembering that. Yeah. Um, and through that language, they are saying, hey, computer, listen to this music. These are the parameters, what it means to hear this sound or this pattern and then hallucinate for me, hmm. start dreaming. And that is for how I made music manually for a long time. I was hallucinating in a sense, right? I know I'm trained like in a classical way, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm mm -hmm. doing and, and stuff, but I actually created the anti process of uh, what I had learned through classical music by saying, this is collage. This is me like looking at a canvas and trying to fill it in. Uh, and, and I don't know what I'm thinking. Try it as much as possible to make it a 50-50 process between me and the computer and saying the computer just gave me a pattern. Why not use it? It's weird, but let's use it. Let's give it a chance. And that is how it actually became odd, yet within a structure, beautiful. Isn't, and, it, isn't it possible to see being an artist as more noble? I mean, that it's uh, a, an art. An artist is someone who creates. Um, okay, noble. Okay, great. And, and if that, um, and if that's, if, can if you call me noble on this one? If you tell me I'm, I'm a noble artist right now, <laughs> I'll take that seriously. I'm going to be like, no, I just, the, I just mean that it doesn't have to be about getting on a private jet. It, it can be uh, somebody who is maybe they're creating origami on their kitchen table. They're, they're, they're an artist, and and if and if that's what it's about, creation, then you really are an artist because your entire world right now. I'm assuming you're not doing everything you're doing just to try and make money, right? You're doing it because exactly. because yeah. you're it's stimulating you. It's 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 your adventure it's your exploration you want to create new things that to me is the apex of artistry but you know who knows what these terms mean but in terms of the, yeah the, but you, you just said like somebody does something in the kitchen just like make something and make their family members happy and that's art right yeah but but i'm talking about noble like the, the noble <laughs> right. artist right whereas like what am i going to do as an individual what am i going to do after i heard that like i take it home and i'm going to sit down and think oh i'm, I'm a noble person <laughs> but just this is like it's actually weird because i went on the can red carpet i remember with bam and everyone i mean bless him he was also like a bit weirded out about like red carpets and all that because i think he's, he's he's an artist like he just thinks oh, every yeah. day in, oh, a, yeah. in a very artistic sense right 100 percent, yeah even about politics he's like artistic <laughs> yeah um and and i think that that was the moment it, it hit me 
that's like one of the peak moments in my life i was like okay this this is such fabrication it's like they're trying to sell me something is anybody here like trying to like take something from me and i got it uh, and i got the answer when the press came in right two days of back-to-back press conferences interviews and the way they were asking questions like they're not even listening to what i I have to say Mm. they want to sell something so i was right there you know in farsi we say he's going to get if not meaning is like they're taking us for like uh fools you know let me i mean i know i can't keep you forever this is so interesting to me let let me before i let you go uh, exploit you not not as noble artist but as a futurist uh, and really try and get a, if you can let me try and get into your brain and 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 see if you can help us uh, see what some of some of what you're you're predicting what you're expecting uh, in the future um, I heard you say at some point in the, it was uh, somewhere you did a talk or an interview or something in the last year or so you said you believe the future of the mu- of music is digital data that removes the sound element music that removes the sound element it blows my mind how 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 do we make sense of that so that refers to the next phase in uh digital interfaces and why there's a need to remove the barrier between how our brain uh experiences uh non uh, sort of biological digital input and I know Neuralink is right now the hot discussion in this realm but I think it's way beyond this where we internally can have input from external compute um, in our brain and I know immediately people are thinking oh my god am I going to see like Google ads in my head while I'm thinking between my thoughts it's going to be like skip this ad for two (laughs) dollars But uh, when I said soundless music, yeah, it's, it's referring to um, brain uh, computer inf- interfaces where we actually just imagine music or visuals. And we're at least 50 to 100 years away from the first generation of but that. So you would interface. feel the feeling of a sad ballad of a song without yeah. using your without your ears hearing one. No, you're hearing it. Oh, you're hearing internally, it. right? So there's no waveform generated, but you're I'm gonna, just like here. It's I'm going to throw like up. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. It's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. So, uh, okay, maybe not 50 years or 100 years down the road. In the next 20 or 30 years, how do you believe we will be consuming music? I mean, if we went from... Uh, you know, vinyl records to CDs to Napster to streaming services like Spotify and, and iTunes now. Uh, where, where, what do you think the next frontier is for the way we consume music? Um, I'm going to follow the pattern that already has started and exists, which is um, TikTok, right? There's a phenomenon in TikTok that I look at it as from very like deep sensory study, um, like neurological level, which is it's, it's it's the first time what I was envisioning, which was the um, uh, the union of sound and visuals that is distinguishable from one another. It's like an audiovisual that happens that is matched and it's supposed to be matched, right? It's like it's not even called music because it's 
also dancing which one was made yes. first that kind of thinking right so yeah, TikTok what is, is pretty much that, that. It's like yeah. people are trying to match themselves to audio and the audio is matched to so the music that is being created now is slowly built for easier matching of your body movement right so wow. unity of sensory so multi-sensory music um in a sense so i would imagine we're moving towards vibes <laughs> so the me medium of music is just going to be vibes that are in the background of our life and soundtrack moments and video games and the virtual worlds and the metaverse whatever it will be in the future um will have these uh type of new digital sonic moments that are matched to just those worlds and i think the economy around it is super important and that will change as well through um obviously the the new improvements using blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies to be able to trade them immediately without having sort of uh physical liability and and sort of legal limitations wow and that medium to me is is, is more of a stream of music rather than selling records and people have been experimenting with this like selling eps in two chunks and like right music that is one minute yeah it's necessarily shorter sound bites uh if you're talking about tiktok right i mean it's so you're so if i have this correct you're the creator and let's not even say a musician at this point the the sort of the, the, the artist the noble artist uh has the intent of building a sound moment or a sound a, or a moment that will satisfy that sound and and dance movement or what, what uh, thing that's happening on that's becoming all the rage on reels and TikTok and all of that. It's writing yes. towards that. Yeah. So so the question is, do I make one hour of music to get those moments out, or is it just like, do I compose for forty five seconds? It's a riff. Or, yeah. <laughs> it's a riff. I don't know that. Like, I, I wish I was younger. If I was like eighteen right now, I would just like sit down and make forty five seconds uh, music, like an album that's just like five second music. Right. That's well, tracks, it, it, right? if that's the future, um, it makes a lot more sense that those moments can be found through curating uh, the existing library yeah. of the world of music out there, right? It, rather than, and finding, you know, the, back to your, your AI, finding, you know, little pastiches or collages that can create those, those moments. How, how do you believe or how do you see all of this, the, um, what we just talked about, plus the, 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 the AI, you know, and, and the changing nature of music, how do you see it affecting the concert experience? I mean, I'm I'm guessing there'll always be an appetite for a bar band, you know, doing you know blues or something like that. But but do you see the way we consume music live and go gather as a group changing as well? You know, everybody who's been to a concert knows that when you're in that environment, the the grand level of bass and high end and and the massive wall of sound can really really take you somewhere else so my answer to that is that that is a very unique experience that can cannot be replicated until we actually have that brain stimulation mm. <laughs> style <laughs> uh, mm. interface for now i think it's a shame that through covid there's there are no live concerts i think there is always a question of technology replacing uh what existed i don't mm. think that's the case it should really become an addition it, mm. another choice right i know we have too many products in the world and like too too much choice but 
if choices don't uh, are not about more choices of the same medium, they're choices between mediums. I think technology has been successful with, with that. And concerts are one medium. Then mm -hmm. virtual concerts are not a medium. They're not a, a variation of the same medium. They should be a parallel sort of different medium. Although if you if you had told me 20 years ago as a musician in the 90s or or or, or that people would pay uh, to go to a space um, and where there's a guy standing on a stage just pressing go on his Apple computer. Uh, and then doing a little dance with headphones on <laughs> while, while he quote-unquote DJs. I would, I, know, I would I believe. I used to go and mix live samples and compose, recompose using like generative samplers, patched to one another. And, and I looked at the audience once, and I think there was one show. I'm not going to say where because the promoter is going to be pissed <laughs> off. Um, I went there and just put my uh, sort of pre-session record iTunes and I just like, looked at the audience for like 40 <laughs> minutes i was like there's there's they're having so much fun sure right? yeah. yeah that's the difference but it was about the audience so i was kind of redundant so that's uh, why maybe i mean again the the, the question of if, if we actually make a spectacle of a holographic version of me and like visuals and is that is that a more, more interesting than the the, the the very like curved back guy on stage <laughs> like on on their laptop you know what i mean Ash, you are such an interesting guy, man. I've really enjoyed this. Before I let you go, let me get let me let you do a yeah. shout out to your new company. I, it's funny because I saw Orbit um, uh, on your on some of your social media, but you you haven't done any. I haven't seen any. You talk about it in any interviews or anything yet. I, so so and now I find out it's just a couple months old. This new company with your brother. So tell tell us as much as you can yeah. about this. Last year, um, I moved on from Oxuman, and uh, the reason for that was that uh, during the time at Oxuman, um, we basically built a technology for streaming a new type of application from the cloud without needing a strong local computer. Um, and I decided with Puya, my brother, that this is the path to build a company and then hand it over to the company. While I'm still an advisor at Oxuman, uh, Negar, who's also a longtime co collaborator with me uh, from the film, moving to music. And she was a, a product manager at Spotify as well. Mm -hmm. And now she is um, the CEO of Oxuman. And they, they continue the, to build the sort of NPCs with talent and gamification of these NPCs. And I've moved on to building a platform. I can only say a little bit, obviously, uh, we're still in stealth and coming out next year. Um, but we're we we managed to attract a lot of funding from investors, which I can again not say. And the mission here is basically to build a new type of interactive entertainment that enables um, it's almost like video games or video game arcades that are super high quality. They don't need any downloading, and they enable fintech technology. It's um, in line with the the new mindset in the world that. If you are entertained, you also deserve to be paid for it, mm. not to pay the the entertainment platform. So we have managed to build a system by which you you can invest in your time playing games and and going between. Wait a minute, you worlds. get paid for being entertained? Yeah, that sounds like a great deal. 
yeah, it's, it's a good deal because you engage with a community and you uh, experience different worlds of different shapes. Like ha- imagine like sitting in front of your Xbox and like jumping in and out of different games, but you don't pay for each game. You don't have to like worry about like in-game purchases. It's the other way around. Like the more you play, the more you invest in your future. It's actually brilliant. Uh, if my um, nephew who spent... Um, uh, must be the the equivalent of years on Minecraft by now <laughs> was getting paid. Uh, uh, it would make a lot more sense. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, the game the gaming economy has been flawed, and right now there's a discussion of there will be a next version of the internet. We're called. I mean, people are calling it the metaverse. It's not clear what it's going to be yet. But long story short, it does two things, in my opinion. It changes the 2D interface of the current internet, which is like text-based, and it's read and write. Like currently, like you just like read and respond, interact mm-hmm. with the internet mm-hmm. and all the applications. But the next version of the internet, you can also play. You can be in a 3D space. It's multidimensional. There are other people in different worlds, and uh, it's pretty sci-fi. But I think it's tangible now. And also the second thing it does is that you own your digital identity and you um, don't pay any company uh, any uh, sort of free data and they mm-hmm. can sell it uh, to advertisement. That model is going to shift rapidly. And also you will be able to start treating gaming as stock, as investing in your future, owning mm-hmm. digital assets that yield in the future in, in, in very uh, sort of positive and uh, non sort of stock markety ways like Wall Street ways, which is um, stock can be affected by a tweet. And we want these values to change. So we're creating this ecosystem where entertainment means something. It's like your activity was rewarded with something. And the community that you helped by paying initially is rewarded for creating more. So it's kind of like a double-sided profit mentality. Ash Kusha, thank you. Thank you for the innovation. Thank you for the interview. And and congratulations on uh, uh, all these investors. (laughs) Sounds sounds pretty (laughs) delicious. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again, man. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, man. Later. Bye-bye. Bye. Ash Kusha, a multidisciplinary artist, futurist, and technological entrepreneur. Ash joined us from London, England today. And this is full time for Rook for today. You liked that, didn't you, Shia? Yes, Some yes. Some of that yeah. talk. Yes, yes, yes. Blew my mind. The idea that <laughs> oh, yeah. the way we think about making music yes. is changing based on the platforms, the technology that exists, right? Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, you can hear that again or anything uh, in our Rook catalog, previous episodes, Rook Funnies, Rook Moments, videos, Unmarried Persian Girls, uh, the contemporary history of Iran, all at our website, rookmedia.com, where you can also become a patron and help us out, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together, Savvy, Savvy Roham, talented Anahita, Ponta the Artist, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty Saw, Ahoy Merthod, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizu Mashi. Mizu Mashi.